You know why I'm afraid of change Guess that's why we stay the same So tell me to leave, I'll pack my bags, get on the road Find someone that loves you better than I do, darling, I know Cause you remind me every day I'm not enough, but I still stay Feels like a lifetime just trying to get by while we're dying inside Done a lot of things wrong, loving you, being one, but I can't move on You know why I'm afraid of change Guess that's why we stay the same So tell me to leave, I'll pack my bags, get on the road Find someone that loves you better than I do, darling, I know Cause you remind me every day I'm not enough, but I still stay If you want me to leave, then tell me to leave and baby, I'll go Welcome to an episode of Cat the Baker. I'm Chef KB This song sounds nice and relaxing and calming, but I just listened to this song, I would say 30 plus times in a row because I just made a trip to New York and I landed in Denver and it was such a great trip. I'm, you know, I'm like Zen, I'm feeling good about it. I get to my car, it's kind of warm in Denver, perfect timing. I start driving, I get past kind of the entrance to Denver where it goes uphill and that's when things get crazy. Like even in good conditions, in good weather conditions, this road is dangerous. (laughs) Like the things I've seen from driving in and out of Denver. But it starts to snow bad. There's low visibility. They're like on the opposite side. Cars are driving like they're back to back. They're super close to each other. And on my side of the road... There's snow plows, there's cars that can't even get up the hill. I keep going. I'm like starting to be like, okay, I <laughs> I need to get through this. Like, just help me get through this. This is the worst drive I've ever done. It was intense. You know, from such a good few days to get back to Aspen on this crazy drive, was insane. As I was driving, I was trying to think of things that would kind of calm me down because my hands were super tight around the steering wheel. I was so grateful that I got snow tires. They were $1,000 and of course I used a firm. If you don't know that app, look it up. It's great. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Like I understand now why I needed snow tires because everybody was like sliding. They were driving 20, 
super, super slow. All of a sudden, everybody started to move to the right with emergency lights. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, I mean, I just keep on driving. And all of a sudden, snow plows even leave the road. It's as if they're like, yeah, good luck. And I'm like, uh, should I not be driving? Like, what's going on? So I continue driving. And I'm like the only one all of a sudden. First, it was like 100 cars. Next thing I know, it's just me. There's ice on the road. And all of a sudden, you know, it says icy road. It says next seven miles downhill is crazy. Like I'm driving slow. Anyway, I made it. It was like four and a half hours of insanity and total alertness. On the plane back from New York, I didn't even sleep because I was watching movies. I saw The Sun, which was with Hugh Jackman. Very good. Super, super sad. Like I didn't need that. But it was, it was really good. So yeah, I stayed up this whole time from the flight back, super tired. But I'm like, no, I have to see how this movie ends. And next thing I know, you know, I go eat Indian, which I'm glad I did because I needed some food before this crazy drive. So yeah, as I was driving, I was thinking of things that would calm me down. I was playing this song and it came on and I like put it on you know autoplay like loop and I didn't stop and I just started singing with it next thing I know I'm stress eating Lederach chocolate because I was just in New York I just got chocolate from the store and it's on the seat next to me I'm like yes I need chocolate right now and it's like oh my god this drive was so crazy but I made it I'm home I wanted to talk about my trip I really didn't think it would be so meaningful as it was. I don't think everything has to be deep, but it was. It was super interesting the way my mood was. When I left New York to move to Aspen, I was happy to leave and I was just excited for something new and nervous, you know, but I mean, work is going well. I didn't expect to get these days off, obviously for my friend's baby shower which is going to be such a cute baby and I'm going to be an auntie and I'm not even a baby person but I'm totally excited so it was so nice to go there and it was really just four days including traveling so two full days really I landed at LaGuardia airport you know no big deal I took public transportation to get into the city super easy my friend was staying up on the upper west side beautiful apartment like crazy, you know, for New York. I just had such a good time. But mainly, I noticed my own shift. You know, I was just, I was open to being there and just excited. I took the time to walk in Central Park, walk around some of my favorite spots. And as I was doing that, I remembered how I was feeling this time, like almost a year ago. And it was interesting because when you aren't happy about something, when something has clouded your mind, you know, I always try and have positive thoughts as well, but that's hard when something isn't going the way you thought it would or the way you want. I realized on this trip that it really is about your own mindset. And I just really appreciated the city. I 
walked around to some of my favorite dessert spots. And basically the whole time I just ate. Like that's really, that's really all you do in New York. <laughs> like all this, you know, weight that's come off the past few months. I feel like, um, yeah, like New York just ruined that. I don't know, but you know, from all these ski dates, but it, I just noticed how when you yourself decide to have an open mind and to not let something fully put your thoughts on loop, it's like you have tunnel vision and that's so easy to get. And then you just think of all these things that bother you, you know, and that, I mean, that can't be healthy, right? But I feel like that's what I was doing. And I thought, okay, leaving will be the solution. And I don't know if it was the solution. I mean, I left because I wanted more nature and I feel like that really helped me. You know, if you leave a place, you still have the same, your life is still the same. It's not, it hasn't changed. You've just changed the geography, you know? But like I said in a previous episode, your emotions and your thoughts are still the same. So it's up to you to really cleanse those thoughts. When I went to New York, I went by my old job and I noticed, yeah, there was no, like, it's a shame it didn't work out, you know, and, but I mainly enjoyed being there and seeing the people that I used to work with. I noticed that, you know, things move slowly there and they always have. So I feel like I'm in a good place now. You know, I don't think if I had have stayed longer, I mean, it wouldn't have made me feel any better because I know in that moment when I did decide to leave, it was definitely time. You know, I just wasn't feeling creatively that it was right for me. You know, now I feel a lot differently. And when I'm able to do something that is important to me, then it opens up all these other avenues of other things that I enjoy doing, which is, that's positive. You know, when you yourself feel positive, then you attract all these other positive things. But when I was in New York, I wasn't feeling so positive about what was happening. Nothing else was happening either. Is it possible to live somewhere where you're not super happy with your job and all this stuff? I mean, of course, like you don't have to move. But in my case, I think too, it was just, I needed a little bit more sun. I needed more nature, you know, and that's when I realized, okay, I need to leave the city. You know, so for me, it's been really good. And I guess I looked super different. Like the stress of the city wasn't on my face anymore. So people, it took them a minute to recognize me, which was interesting. On the flight to New York, I saw a movie called She Said, which was so good. You know, it's about kind of the beginning of the Me Too movement with Harvey Weinstein. It made me think that women really have to stick together in a sense of everywhere, you know, just support each other. It was like two days prior where it was International Women's Day. You know, some men randomly said, well, what about Men's Day? I'm like, all right, calm down. Every day is Men's Day. I don't know, that movie just got me thinking about just women in my family. I mean, my mom, number one, 
you know, she she was old fashioned in a lot of ways. But I mean, of course, she was born like in the 50s. I was just thinking, like, it's so easy for women to kind of go against each other, you know, for jealousy or I just remember back in school, like girls were so mean to each other, you know, and I'm thinking it has to be the opposite, like same in the kitchen. You know, when women start to get in the industry, it shouldn't be about bitchiness or I'm better than you or, you know, it should be more about support because in the kitchen industry, there's not enough women. I think it's getting more now, but definitely when I went to culinary school, there were all women, almost, you know, and then I get into the job field in the kitchen and there's barely any women, you know, just support each other. I think that's important. I think that's why I really like the WCR conference that I went to in LA, but I think they stopped doing those conferences but it was really cool because it was, all, it was all women chefs. They were all talking about being in the industry together, how to support each other. And it was just a really helpful conference, you know, for women. And oftentimes it's the women behind the man, you know, that influence the man and try to make the man feel like it was his decision. But meanwhile, it was like, not him. Um. <laughs> But I was, um, speaking of New York, I've been having all these flashbacks. I've been through a lot in New York. I had a lot of firsts in New York. For those of you who've been listening from the beginning, I went to high school in New Mexico because I had just moved from Germany to New Mexico. I was there for two years. I got into acting, drama on stage. I was in the drama club and we moved to Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. That's when I stopped acting because I had to fulfill all these other state requirements. So I went into art and I thought I would become an artist and go to college and just study art. But it was because I wasn't able to act in that year when I was a senior. That's when I decided, yes, I want to go to acting school. I made it to New York. Like I did this audition in Atlanta and it went you know, it went okay. I bet they thought, oh, we, we could teach her some things. <laughs> so what happened was my mom drove me from Atlanta to Brooklyn. I had this dorm type room in Brooklyn and a friend of mine, I'll call her Sam. We became friends in New Mexico. She was my director in a play and I had stage fright. This was a festival play we were touring to different festivals within New Mexico and it was getting really good feedback I had a small role but you know there's no small roles only small actors okay um, <laughs> anyway I I was in this part and I was kind of the comic relief that was kind of my niche I felt safe doing those roles when I heard people in the audience laughing it relaxed me but before I got on stage, I was super nervous. Like my stomach would go crazy. And it reminded, that reminded me of my childhood because I was always kind of nervous about being late or making it late to school on time. So I constantly had stomach aches. That was how it was before I went on stage. So my friend Sam, the director of the play would calm me down and she's be like, you've got this, you know, just go on stage, do your part. They love you. You've got this. And 
I won um, like best supporting role in that play. Every time she directed a play, I wanted to audition for that play because she was such a good director and I just felt supported. And we became really good friends and would hang out after school. We both decided to go to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York. So she was already in New York and she was staying in this room at the St. George in Brooklyn Heights. I was to join her in that room and we would be roommates. I packed everything in my mom's car. I think it was like a Isuzu or something. We drove overnight from Atlanta to New York. And of course, when you drive up the East Coast, you could get stuck in traffic jam after traffic jam, you know? So you basically go after rush hour from Atlanta, which is like seven-ish, and then you drive up the whole night and you have to kind of make it before New York. You have to get past Washington, D.C. because there there's crazy rush hour and you kind of have to make it through Washington, D.C. before like 5 a.m. So I think we just made it and the rush hour was starting in Washington, D.C. But we drove up the whole night listening to John Denver. My mom loves or loved John Denver. And I do too, because when you grow up with someone who loves certain songs, you know, I started really liking his music too. We saw him in concert twice in England when I grew up there. You know, I grew up in Brighton, England, or Peacehaven. I grew up in Peacehaven, just outside of Brighton, which isn't that an amazing name? Like Peacehaven. Like who wouldn't want to live there, first of all? Um, <laughs> my ex-fiance you know, I have a lot of exes. He visited the UK and I told him, I gave him my old address and he went by my old house and he took a picture of it for me. And it was so crazy. You know, it was my childhood house and the tree that my mom planted, it was like this ugly tree. It was super, it, like it poked you. It wasn't, it didn't have soft branches. It was like, it was kind of like an holly ivy, but more violent. I don't even know the name of the tree. My mom planted it as a tiny tree when we were living in that house. Like she loved gardening. And I think it was through her that I really enjoy gardening because we would garden together. We'd go to the nurseries and pick out all the flowers and the plants. My mom planted this ugly tree. And I'm like, why? Why are you planting it? This is the ugly tree. And she's like, no, they're resilient. It's going to grow well. I see the photo that he took, you know, and this is, what is it? It's like 30 plus years later. This tree is taller than the house. It's like one, one and a quarter, you know, times the house. And I saw it. I'm like, oh my God, that's the tree she planted. And now it's this giant tree. And now this tree is taking over the front yard. And it just made me cry. Like... <laughs> And I can't even talk about it, I guess. It's funny because when I saw that tree, I knew right away that's the tree. As ugly as this tree is, it brought back all these memories. It's funny, the things that bother you about a person, when they're gone, you love those things. Because I was thinking about like my favorite sounds. For sure, it's a cat purring. Like I love the sound of a cat purring because you know the cat is feeling well. The cat is purring and it makes you feel well. Like there's studies done that hearing the sound of a cat purr gives you less anxiety. I love the sound of takeoff. Like when you're on an airplane 
and the plane takes off, there's that sound and it's super loud. Just that feeling, the force, like something that heavy. Technically, the airplanes are light. You know, they're made extra light, but they're still super heavy. I mean, think of all those people on the plane and something that heavy can just take off. Like, how crazy is that? I mean, obviously there's, you know, science, I get it, but <laughs> it's amazing to me that this huge airplane can take off and take you somewhere completely the other side of the world in just, you know, the same day. Like that amazes me. The feeling of takeoff just gives me goosebumps. Like, <laughs> so, and then I was thinking my favorite sound, of course, after you've baked fresh bread, that crackling when you listen to the bread, yeah, I'm one of those people, after I bake things, I listen. I just hear that fresh crackling and it makes me so happy. I don't know, something, something so simple gives me such joy. And I think that's why I love baking, because it is. Like, I'm not saying baking is easy. Don't, don't, you know, get me wrong there. Because it's not. I just want to say that. There's a lot of science involved. And to all those chefs who are like, oh, baking's so easy. Like, what are you doing in there all day? Uh, number one, calm down. It's not easy. And what makes it also harder is dealing with these chefs that make it think it's so easy when it's not. And where was I? <laughs> like it got me all wrapped up. Um, okay, so the sound of bread crackling. That's an amazing sound. It gives me such satisfaction. Also in cake, when you take a cake out of the oven, there's a, a sound to it. And then I was thinking my mom's laugh. You know, like she, she had such a crazy laugh. And when I say that, people are like, well, your laugh's kind of crazy too. I'm like, no, it's like, <laughs> yes, I, when I, when I would go to comedy clubs in New York or LA, the comedians loved having me in the audience, you know, if, if they were funny. Um, I love, I love going to comedy stand up. I love laughing. There's no other remedy. You know, and yes, I do have a loud laugh, but my mom's laugh was even louder. Like before she would laugh, there would be a scream. And and I'd be like, Mom, geez, like calm down. Like what? Stop. Like you're so loud. And like it would get me so embarrassed. You know, I feel so bad about that now. Everything she did would like embarrass me because she was just who she was. Like she didn't hide it. I respect that so much. Of course, I didn't want her to hide it. You know, raising me, what message would that have given me? Like, I am who I am, and I'm myself. I don't apologize for the things I do or what I say. You know, I did in my 20s, and I don't think I was my true self, because I was always like, oh, what are these people thinking if I do that? Like, who gives a, you know, S, like, <laughs> about what other people think? Like, who cares? You know, most of these people you're never going to see again. Okay, unless you live in Aspen, you see the same people all the time. So just be yourself because life is short. If you keep thinking what other people think, like that's no way to live. And my mom, she didn't live like that. You know, she lived the way she wanted to, the way she believed, the way she thought it was right. And I, I try and do the same thing, you know. And I guess in a way she inspired me to do that. Her laugh was so loud. But it brought such joy. Everybody else, you know, like once I got over it being loud, it made me laugh, you know. And then I remember 
we all had a family vacation. We went to, we were living in Germany, and my mom said, let's go, let's go to Florida for a vacation. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> like, let's go, you know, and, and my mom always said to me, okay, you plan what we're going to do. Like, I love planning things, you know, I'm good at it. So <laughs> she would tell me all the things, you know, she's like, find out what's good to do here and let's do it, you know, and, and I guess I kind of, that's where I get my energy too, to when I travel to find out what's going on. But I've been doing my whole life because even on our family vacations, my mom would tell me, okay, plan it. <laughs> so, so I planned a banana boat. Like we did a banana boat, which is an inflatable banana. Like <laughs> it's a thing it, or it was a thing at least. I don't know if it's a thing anymore. And uh, like the 90s, it was a thing and it was pulled by a wave runner in the ocean. And my family is a family of five, two older brothers, my dad and my mom. We did a motorhome vacation in the Keys. Like we, we started in Miami and then we drove down, like we got our motorhome and my mom loved a motorhome. And I'm like, God, mom, can't we just stay in hotels like normal people? And she's like, no, we need to be mobile. We need to be able to see things and do other things. And now I'm the exact same way. Like, you know what? It's so funny. Basically, I feel like you end up being like your mom's or your dad's, right? Like we did this motorhome vacation and we drove through all the keys and we stopped in Key Largo. And that's when we did the banana boat. And the wave runner pulled us like we're on, we're all on the banana and the wave runner starts. And when it goes through all these waves, you know, you, you jump up and down like on, on the banana. And it's the funniest thing. And my mom could not stop laughing. And because she was laughing so much, I was laughing. My brothers were laughing. My dad was at the end laughing. And we were like, it was one of the best memories because we were laughing so hard. And my mom was like screaming. She's like, I got to pee. I got to pee. And she's laughing. And we're like, no, but we can't stop laughing. <laughs> and my brother's like, don't do it. Like, don't do it. We were all in the middle. My mom was kind of towards the front my mom had to pee so obviously the pee runs toward the middle of the boat right <laughs> like, and my brothers this is like the worst thing ever that my brothers could experience so they're like stop mom stop like <laughs> and my brother is like he intentionally jumps off the banana because the guy who's on the wave runner he wants us he's trying to get us off the boat you know, because it's like a thing for the whole experience. Like you go through all these waves and then these waves kind of knock you off the banana. But because my mom was going to pee or had whatever, he, you know, he's like, I'm jumping off. Like, he's like, I can't. And we're laughing even more because he's being so dramatic. Um, but it was uh, like now I remember that. I wish at the time, you know, now we take our phones everywhere and our phones have like waterproof cases and record things so easily. Like I love taking videos because I, I just love reliving those experiences. You know, there's pros and cons to the technology we have, of course. I wish that I had had my phone so I could take video of this moment. Like it is the funniest thing. Because then in the 90s, I mean, when the microwave first came out, yes, I'm old enough to talk about when the microwave first came out. 
It was the size, you know, that freezer compartment that like older fridges have, like not the nice modern ones, but the freezer compartment um, on the top of your fridge. The microwave was the size of that. Like, I'm not even joking. We had one of the first microwaves growing up in England and it was giant. Like, it was so big. But it's like when the camcorder first came out, again, huge. And yes, we we had it when it first came out. Because as a kid, me and my brothers, we would do these little videos and we would pretend we were newscasters. Like, I would pretend I was a newscaster and talk about like upcoming stories and what had happened and we'd go in these treasure hunts with this giant camcorder on my brother's shoulder and I think I have that video somewhere like it's still in this um, VHS you know which I think if I find it I have to translate it somehow um, in a file that I can watch in my computer. We got all these technology things that were the first. Thinking about it now, it was so funny. Like the first cell phone that ever came out, you know, my dad had it. It was so heavy. Like, it was like weight. It was a weight. It was like 25 pounds or something ridiculous. And you had to carry it, it had a strap. Like you, you put this whole strap around your shoulder and it looks like one of those army phones, you know, that has its own kind of huge battery pack with it. And my dad had one of these and I'm like, what? Like what? <laughs> this thing is giant. And I was like, you know, like we would um, go grocery shopping when I was with my dad in Germany. Every Friday we'd go to the grocery uh, store and, and my dad's like, oh, I forgot my phone. And I was like, that giant thing, you forgot it? Like, he'd had to run back and get it, and he'd come out with, you know, what it would now be, like a suitcase. I mean, crazy. So, anyway, I think I went off off tangent, but <laughs> the banana boat experience was the best. And in my head, you know, I'm replaying it, and I wish I could have that on video, because it was the best. It was the best. So my mom's laugh, for sure, that's one of my favorite sounds. I even said to her, I was like, Mom, why are you always so loud? Like, you're so loud with everything. Because she would be super classy. You know, she'd dress in this beautiful way. Like when I was a kid, um, like five, six, seven, like super young, and she'd have all these beautiful clothes because they had their own business and she would always try to get clients. I just remember her wearing those dresses. And her favorite smell is Chanel Number no. Five. She, you know, she would put that on. It would smell so good. And every time I would smell it, you know, I see my mom because that was her favorite perfume. But yeah, she just she was so classy. And then out of nowhere, like she would burp or something, and I'm like, oh, like damn, like what? <laughs> you know, like now it's funny. And I would tell her, like, mom, you know, stop. Like, what? Where did that come from? You know, we would be driving and out of nowhere, she'd like burp and like right in my ear or like not intentionally, but it was just, she didn't hold things in, you know, she's like, I just had a burp, you know, whatever. And, but it, but it would annoy me, like it would really annoy me. And now I'm like, you know, yeah, it was like, why did it annoy me so much? And she would always say, um, when you don't hear me burp anymore, you're going to miss it. And I'm like, uh, no, like... <laughs> 
And I don't miss hearing her burp, but I do miss her laugh. And um, I think of that often. So anyway, back to the John Denver concert, right? Like I went way off tangent. My mom loved John Denver and we saw him twice in concert in Brighton, England. And it was such a good show. This was like kind of before I knew of country music. Like, yes, John Denver does country music. Like some of his songs, you know, like um, like my mom's favorite song of his was Love is like an ocean It's full of pain If I could live forever And all my dreams come true My memory of love would be of you It's called Perhaps Love So if you ever want to feel really sad and depressed, listen to that song and any song, especially while you're driving your daughter to college and she's leaving home for the first time. And she loves the song Leaving on a Jet Plane. Like, all his songs are so effing sad. (laughs) Like, they're so sad. You know, when John Denver passed a few years later, in a plane crash, you know, after we saw him in concert. And my mom was so sad. It's funny because when I first moved to Aspen, I saw that the John Denver Sanctuary is here. It's basically these huge rocks that have his songs, his most popular songs, etched into them. And it's right by this beautiful river. And I walked through the park just singing the songs in my head as I was reading The Rocks and crying. Like, it was so beautiful and sad at the same time. And it was after work one day that I saw the sun setting over the mountains and I totally realized that I believe my mom was behind me moving here. She loved the mountains. She loved snow. She loved John Denver. (laughs) And me, I love warmer climates. I like the ocean. And I totally don't think I ever would have picked to live here. I mean, he put on a great show. My mom loved Motown. And we saw Diana Ross in Vegas. We went from, we were living in England. And you know, it's funny, we'd, we'd live in Europe and we'd always vacation in the US. And, um, and they were great vacations, you know, but now I live in the US and I'm like thinking everywhere else, you know? But yeah, we saw him, John Denver in concert. We saw Diana Ross in concert. And it was like this private table concert. We were all sitting at a table and I'm like, wow, I've never been to a concert with my own table. You know, we were drinking, was it like banana banshees in the Hilton in Las Vegas? And it was so high end and she did a show there and it was amazing. I mean, this is Diana Ross. Like I grew up with Motown and my mom would play Motown all the time and she loved oldies. And now I'm seeing Diana Ross in concert, like with her, you know, her hair and I mean, her beautiful dresses, like it was amazing. And this was in 92. Again, we did a mobile home vacation. We flew to LA. And you know what's so funny? We flew to LA and a few weeks prior, they had just had the riots in LA. Our hotel was like not in a great spot in LA. Like we're tourists, LA's beautiful. I mean, most of the year it's sunny. 
and we start walking around in the neighborhood. And I take pictures, of course I take pictures. Like that's all I do is take pictures. And I had this giant camera because it was the 90s, you know, and <laughs> like sleek things didn't exist. So we're super white because we're pale. Like, you know, we're living in England. I'm carrying around this giant camera. We're all wearing shorts and t-shirt. And it, I don't think it was like summer. It was, I don't know, maybe it was. It was like the beginning of summer, but it wasn't super hot. It was just hot for us because in England, it wasn't that weather and there's palm trees. So we're seeing palm trees and we're like, yeah, let's wear shorts. Like, <laughs> so we're walking around this neighborhood. This cop car starts driving behind us and he's like, just so you know, this is where the riots were like, you know, a couple weeks ago. So just maybe go back to your hotel. And we're like, oh, damn. Like, <laughs> and that's the first time we had uh, Mexican food. We went to a Mexican restaurant that same day, you know, in L.A., close to the hotel. And we all have these English accents, you know, because we were living in England. Um, yeah, I'd like these tacos. My oldest brother, he was like almost 10 when we moved to England from Germany. So he has kind of a thicker mixed accent so when he speaks english it sounds a bit like cockney so he's like yeah i'll order the fajita you know fajita and and then the mexican you know the mexican guy who's taking the order he's like ah, fajita <laughs> like <laughs> we're like no it's not fajita <laughs> you know which when i started my first job was taco bell when we ended up moving to new mexico i worked at taco bell and that's when I really learned all the names, you know, because I worked at the cash register and all these people would come in and be like, uh, we'd like 10 tacos, you know, um, and then I'd ring in the 10 tacos and in the back, they're like, we have a 10 pack, you know, like a 10 pack was a thing. If you order 10 tacos, we have a 10 pack, like, and so I'd ring in all these orders with my British accent and be like, oh, you want cinnamon twists? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it was so weird. Like you, you come into Taco Bell and there's this like English, you know, this girl with an English accent and like looking back, you know, it's so funny, the things you think of. So anyway, as a kid in England, we'd see, you know, I saw Diana Ross, I saw um, Barry White. How crazy is that? Like we went to a Barry White concert. I went with my mom. I was, I want to say like super, like seven, like really young. And there's all these women in the front and they're throwing their bras, like they're taking off their bras and they're throwing it on stage. And he, Barry White, he has this, his voice was so deep, super, super deep. And it was so like sexy, right? And it's just when he sang, it just made women take off their bras, like, and security didn't know what to do. You know, this was in England and security's like, no, don't take off your bra. Like, they were like trying to stop women from taking off their bras. And they're passing out. These women are passing out. Like, no joke. They're all passing out. People are having to come in and take them out with stretchers. This was in the 90s. I don't know. But people went wild when they heard Barry White. And I'm like this young kid. I'm like, what's happening, mom? Like, <laughs> Was ist los? You know, in German. And my mom's like, you know, how do you explain that, right? Like, how do you explain that to this, like, young girl? They can't take his sexiness. They're all passing out. <laughs> like, I'm like, mom, why are they taking off their bras? I don't understand. Like, 
<laughs> so I saw Barry White in concert. Now, looking back, it's so funny. Here I am, we're driving to New York, right? Get, let's get back to the point of the story. We're driving to New York. We're listening to John Denver the whole time. This whole night, we're listening to John Denver. These songs are so sad. Like, they're so sad. And basically, I'm crying. You know, I cry. And then my mom cries because this is the first time I'm leaving home. It's emotional. You know, I cry, then she cries. And I feel like we should have probably switched the music to something upbeat. But no, this whole time we're listening to John Denver and we're just like crying. <laughs> it was crazy. She drives me all the way to New York. You know, she stays in like kind of my dorm and we woke up from honking. You know, when you're in New York, there's just honking. This was the 90s in New York where I feel like they were honking even more. They were just so angry. <laughs> so we woke up from honking and just all these like traffic sounds. My mom stayed a day and then she drove back to Atlanta, Georgia. But it was just such an emotional thing, you know, and, and we, we went to this cathedral together. I was excited, like I was excited, but this was a new step for me. And I think having her be there, knowing that, okay, I'm not gonna see her, you know, for a bit. It just was emotional. So we went in the city. We just walked by this cathedral and we went inside. Like I wasn't raised religiously. I was never baptized. My mom was raised religious. She never baptized me because when she was pregnant with me, the priest tried to rape her. True story. Like she told me the story. And after that, she swore she would never go to church again. I love going into churches. There's just this energy you know, and I love the architecture and especially in New York, they have very European style cathedrals and just the detail. So every time I travel, I love to go into uh, churches and just to kind of see, you know, what, what period it was built. So yeah, we went into this cathedral and she lit a candle. She said, like, you're going to be fine. You're going to do great. You can just call me. She's like, I'm not worried about you. And knowing that she was confident about me, made me feel better you know so she drove back and then that was my first time alone you know and and yeah it was like the first few days i'm like i don't even know anything about new york like i lived in brooklyn heights and because my roommate she was already working i didn't really spend much time with her i was kind of on my own and i was there a few days before i started school at the american academy of dramatic arts which was on madison and like 30th, you know, but I didn't know how to take the subway. Like, I didn't know how to do any of this. So in the beginning, <laughs> like instead of taking the subway, like now it's easy. Now you just put in maps, you know, and it tells you how to get anywhere. Like, what would you do without GPS? Well, this was before GPS. <laughs> so I would look at the subway map and be like, I don't know how to use this. Like, I'm going to walk the Brooklyn Bridge to get into the city. I don't feel safe taking this that way. Like, I just thought I would get lost, you know? So the first few days when I was in New York, I was too scared to like figure out the subway. And I didn't want to carry this huge map with me because at the time, like now there's maps everywhere. It's like New York is much more tourist friendly, but at the time, it wasn't so much, you know, and I didn't want to appear like this tourist. Crazy things happened in New York. Like, that's what I'm saying. New York was so many firsts for me. God, it's like I've been talking so much about New York. Who knew? Who knew I would have this much to say? But all these, like, memories are coming back. 
And I feel like I have this whole other episode to talk about just on New York because, wow, I would walk the Brooklyn Bridge to get to the city because I was too afraid to like get lost in the subway and to pull out this giant map and, <laughs> you know, and, and, and the Brooklyn Bridge, like it's great, but it still takes you like 30 minutes. <laughs> So I'd tell my roommate, like, at night, you know, I was like, I walked the bridge, like, I didn't know how to get there and there. And she's like, she could have just asked, you know, obviously we didn't have cell phones at that point. Like, I didn't have a cell phone. Like, you can't just get in contact with somebody. She told me how to get where and where, and, and that kind of helped me figure things out. And then that's how I ended up getting to school. Really, am I gonna, am I gonna walk the Brooklyn Bridge every day? Like, come on. <laughs> But it was comforting for me because it was just a way to process my thoughts, you know, and it was kind of like a hike, even though at that point I, I wasn't really into hikes, you know, now I am, but I think it kind of calmed me down. So I'd walk the Brooklyn Bridge sometimes when things were troubling me. That was when I first came to the city. And yeah, I just felt like, I mean, the city's so huge. And I had all these flashbacks at that point because as a family, like me and my mom and dad, we visited New York, like I said in a previous podcast, where I got flashed for the first time and my parents are like laughing. And that's what I mean. Everything I've seen that's been crazy has been in New York. Like I saw the first person to take a dump on the sidewalk, New York. Um, I've seen endless male anatomies in New York. Like, I don't even want to. I'm like, just put it away, right? Flashers, homeless, you name it. I've had my first stalker. I had a couple stalkers in New York. I went to my first swingers club in New York, which I didn't even know was a swingers club. Hello? It was called Le Trapeze. I think it might still exist. So I've been living in New York for a few years. And at this point, I had had a job. I was working at Houston's um, in a restaurant. You know, obviously all my jobs were in restaurants because it's easy when you're acting or auditioning, it's more flexible, you know, and server jobs are not long shifts, like average around six hours. So you work AM or PM, you make your money and then you leave. You know, so at Houston's I was a front desk reader and I worked night that day and I was walking to the subway, which I had been in New York for a while now. Now I could figure out the subway. And I walked by this one building and this guy's like, can you help me get inside? Annoyed. I'm like, what? Like, you know, when somebody stops you in New York, you're like, God, like I'm in a zone. Like, <laughs> don't stop me. You know, and this guy's like, can you help me in? And I'm like, ugh. And I look at my clock and it's like 11.30 p.m. And he's like, it'll only take like a few minutes. He's like, I just need to get into this building. So I go with him. Like, why? Why would I go with him? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know, first of all, I was like 20. I'm super annoyed. I'm like, okay. You know, <laughs> I go in with this building. The guy pays. He pays $200. So this was 2000. This was two. Th like, this is 2000. Yeah, it was 2000 and he's like paying $200. Like that's a lot of money, right? It's a lot of money now for me, but still it's even more so, you know, 20, 20 plus years ago, right? We get inside, there's, I don't even know. I, like my head was so confused when I saw what was going on in there. Everybody was in bathrobes. They were playing ping pong, okay? There was a ping pong table. 
There was a buffet table. Everybody was walking around in bathrobes. And I had just seen, I think this was like around the time that Eyes Wide Shut was playing, you know, with Tom Cruise, which that was a weird movie, but it just totally reminded me of that. Except everybody's in bathrobes and I'm like, what is going on? And then there's a curtain and behind that curtain, like there's a red light and it says like couples only, but I didn't know. Like I was super naive and this guy's like, why don't you take off your coat? And I'm like, no, like, are you kidding me? No. And he's like, just sit here. And he just wanted to mingle, right? Because you can't get into this place if you're not a couple. But I didn't, none of that registered. So the guy behind the cash register, he's like, did this guy ask you to come in off the street? Yes. And he's like, okay, well, you can leave, you know, leave. So I did. And they threw out the guy, you know, that asked me to come in with him. And he was upset. So, you know, he just dropped $200. So he started following me and like chasing me and I'm running and I lost him. That was intense. And I didn't know what I just saw, you know, what was going on in that building. So the next day I tell my experience um, to one of my coworkers, his name was, I'll call him Ted, <laughs> but he, he was always out on the party scene. He knew everything that was going on. And I told him what happened. He's like, oh my God, you went to Le Trapeze. He's like, I've been wanting to get in that place for the longest time, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, what is it? And he's like, it's Swingers Joint. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> so he explained it to me. So that was a first for me. New York was the place where I met the person I fell in love with, the first person, you know, and I ended up marrying that person. You know, that's crazy in itself, but he was the first person to ever be nice to me. Like I dated, I dated so many weird people. <laughs> like seriously, you know, when, when a guy said, let me give you a massage back then, I'm like, oh yeah, I like massages. Meanwhile, I'm like, when a guy says that, he doesn't mean, oh, I'm gonna give you a massage. You know, it, it basically means I'm gonna take off your top. I wasn't into that. You know, I was, I was so naive in a lot of ways. And you know what's funny? Okay, I was naive in like every way, all right? My mom, see, it's so funny because everything goes back to my mom and my childhood, right? It's like, have you ever heard that? You spend the rest of your life trying to get over your childhood? Well, this is like, this is the podcast now. It's like therapy. My mom, she was so open with us, like her kids, about everything. You know, and kids ask crazy questions, right? And then, and then parents are like trying to finagle their way out of the question, you know, but they don't really answer necessarily. But my mom, if you asked her a question, like we as kids would ask her a question, she'd tell you exactly everything, you know? Like, I'd be like, oh, how did you and dad meet? And then she'd be like, well, you know, it was the 60s, I was wearing a mini skirt, and your dad grabbed my ass, and I'm like, what is happening? Like, like, she, like she'd tell everything. Like, you know, I mean, yes, she'd tell it like it was. Hello, like, don't tell it to me like that. And, and it totally grossed me out. So anything about sex, I'd have this trauma behind it because of how my mom would explain something. And it totally would, like, freak me out. In a sense, she was super smart because that was, like, birth control, right? Like, <laughs> I didn't date anybody until I was, like, 20. And that was mainly because... <laughs> you know, of my mom's stories. So yeah, the first guy I ever fell in love with, I went out with, he was a person I ended up marrying. 
he would do super nice things. Like he'd stop by my work with hot chocolate. And like that to me was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, it's the small things, it's the small things. Um, but I love hot chocolate with real whipped cream. Don't give me any of that canned stuff, by the way. And he was the first guy to ever bring me flowers. So for Valentine's Day, he brought me flowers. And I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is the nicest thing ever. <laughs> in New York, I had my first real job. You know, yes, I worked at Taco Bell in New Mexico. Yes, I worked in the library in acting school. That was kind of when I first got into the hospitality industry and I worked at Houston's and that was my first job. And then on the side, I would, I would act. Of course, mainly it was theater, which didn't really pay or actually paid nothing. I would really just do it so that I could put the job on my acting resume. So yeah, I had to work in the restaurant on the side. And New York was the first place that just crazy stuff happened. I mean, I remember I wasn't living in New York that long, maybe a couple months. I just got to Penn Station because I was living in Brooklyn Heights. So I'd, I'd walk to Penn Station and take the two, three to Brooklyn. All of a sudden, there's a weird vibe in the subway. Okay, first of all, there's always a weird vibe in the subway, but this was especially weird. And some people were on the pavement, sitting, looking distressed, and the news was running. Like there was a TV screen somehow, I don't know, it was Penn Station. And what happened was a person was just on the subway with a machete and he injured a bunch of people. Like this just happened. You know, crazy stuff like that, crazy stuff. Yeah, New York was the first place I ever saw real fights. 9-11 happened, 9-11 happened, and I was there. Like a few days before that happened, I was on the Today Show. <laughs> yes, I was on the Today Show. I would do random jobs, and this was a random job, and it was basically to dress up as Buzz the Bee from the cereal. <laughs> and it was on the Today Show. It was like, um, you know, the cereal company, General Mills, they had all these other characters. So there was Count Chocula, and I don't remember the others. I just remember, like, Buzz the Bee, that was me. And I had basically these black tights. I had this yellow body, because I was a bee. It had a stinger on the back and kids loved touching my stinger. <laughs> and I had this giant head, okay? Like I was in full costume. This head was so big, I needed a guide. Like I couldn't see where I was going. So I needed a guide to help me, you know, guide through all these crowds of people. Cause we had to walk outside of the Today Show, basically be in the crowd. But all these people were in the crowd and they were like, oh my God, it's Buzz the Bee. And they were touching my stinger. And I'm like, all these weird hands were touching my stinger. Like, <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but the whole experience was super weird. Wow, I'm on the Today Show, like one of the most popular shows in the US as Buzz the Bee. Like, how weird is that? And my friend that I worked with at Houston's, he was Count Chocula. And he had this tall, this super skinny and tall head, you know, and he had a guide too. But we couldn't be in these costumes, like in these, um, you know, these heads, because it was kind of claustrophobic too. And it was hot. So you couldn't be in there more than like 20 minutes. Like they said, don't go crazy. You know, every 20 minutes, take a break. But I needed my guide to help me take a break. Count Chocula says to me, <laughs> my friend, 
He's like, I need to go pee. Where did my guy go? I'm like, I don't know. You know, we're, we're in these like huge heads talking. <laughs> so he's like, can I take your guide? Uh, okay. Like, <laughs> meanwhile, I couldn't see a thing. And everybody's like touching me and taking pictures with me as Buzz the Bee. So Count Chocula takes my guide and there's these tiny holes in my head, you know? So I see him walk away with my guide. I'm standing there helpless, right? Inside Dina DeLuca, like if you're on the Today Show, Dina DeLuca is like in the area. So he used the bathroom and I see him through the window. He has his Count Chocula head off and he is laughing because he's looking at me and I guess my head, I was looking back and forth, back and forth, like with this giant round bee head. And he was just laughing so hard. Like my head was like going crazy because I was looking for my guide. Like <laughs> I'm trapped with all these people. So yeah, I was on the Today Show. I think the next day, with another friend of mine. We worked together at Houston's and she got tickets to the US Open, which was a huge deal. I'd never gone before. And it was the Williams sisters played each other, which that was a big deal. We sat in one of the front rows, which had also never happened before. But this day was so memorable because it was the last day where New York was the way it was as I knew it up until that point. After that, you know, there was a before New York, before 9-11, and after 9-11. And that time was super clear to me. It doesn't even feel that long ago. But it is, you know, it's, it's been so long already. I remember it crystal clear each moment. And I want to talk about it because... I had never seen anything like that, and New York truly became a war zone. I think I need to save it for a part two episode. So thank you for listening to another episode of Cat the Baker. I'm Chef KB. Please join me on Instagram at Chef KB or on YouTube at Cat the Baker. Until next time. <laughs>